Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Monday evening where we continue our reflections into Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. We are in chapter 5, and so we will just really pick up where we left off last time. But before we get into chapter 5, I wanted to first respond to a question that more or less has something to do with what we will be talking about tonight, and that is this truth that Paul speaks to when he says, it is no longer I living, but Christ who lives in me. Most of us are familiar with that verse, huh? It is no longer I living, but Christ who lives in me. Now, the question is, does that mean that Paul, in a certain sense, loses his identity? Because it certainly sounds like that. It is no longer I living, but Christ who lives in me. And the answer to that question very simply is no. No. In point of fact, the opposite is happening. We have to understand, my friends, that Jesus Christ reveals the potential of who we can be here on earth. And how does he do this? Well, God became man, and by doing so, shows us what man is capable of in light of the divine. So as you never separate Christ's divinity from his humanity, the more Jesus Christ lives within us in both his humanity and divinity, the more we are and our potential is revealed. You become more you in the light of God. We can put it that way. The more you contemplate the face of Christ, the more you spend time with Christ, the more you become this person that God has called you to be. It is not the opposite. We don't move into the realm of nothingness, right? No. And something we have to appreciate here is that we are created in the image and likeness of God. Each and every one of us is created in the image and likeness of God. And in the light of that, each and every one of us has been created with something that is entirely unique to you. And the only thing that is going to bring out that which is entirely unique, the way it needs to be brought out, is, well, the one who created you. Jesus Christ, right? And of course, the holy life of the Trinity. See, only God can bring out the beauty, the pronouncement of who you are. So when St. Paul says, it is no longer I living, but Christ who lives within me, he is saying, because Christ lives within him, he is becoming more of who God is calling him to be. He is becoming the best version of who St. Paul was called to be. Right? So it's not so much this fading into this nothingness as much as it is this being realized, this becoming, if you will. Something else here we should add, the tragedy of not allowing Christ to invade our souls through and through is that then something is left unseen that belongs to the beauty of the body of Christ. Every time we fail to be the person that God is calling us to be, 
there's less beauty in the body of Christ. Because when God invades our souls through and through, and we are living a life in the Holy Spirit, it is then that all of that particularity and the beauty of that particularity and who we are comes out. You know, it's interesting. I remember the first time that I came across this truth, something that is rooted in the church fathers and certainly can be seen in sacred scripture itself. I was convicted to really examine myself so that in the end, the body of Christ wouldn't be without whatever God was calling me to. Huh? You see, every time we sin, my friends, something is lost. Every time we live in virtue and abide in God's grace, something is gained. So as the question is posed, when St. Paul says, it is no longer I living, but Christ living within me, is Jesus swallowing up our identity? No, quite the opposite and quite the opposite because in the end, we are called to what? Give glory to God. And the way we give glory to God is pronounced to the world the uniqueness of who we are, the unrepeatability of who we are, the very distinction of who God called us to be. This is what the whole vocation of the Christian and Catholic life is all about. Now, I said from the outset that this has something to do with today's verses because today's verses are very much about, well, what lies at the heart of the spiritual life this in God for other, but for other can only be realized if we first understand the in God. So with that, let us turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and I will go ahead and start with, let's see here, verses 1 to 5. I spent all of our last program in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1, because there was such a rich theology behind that, um, and I'll go ahead and repeat that verse for the sake of context, but today, at least initially, we will focus in on verses 2 to 5. For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Here indeed we groan and long to put on our heavenly dwelling, so that by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we sigh with anxiety, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. Okay, so I think this language of further clothed really gets at the heart of these verses in a more topical way. That is, here Paul envisions a future life for Christianity that is physical yet immortal. So in heaven we will be neither stripped of our bodies, the unclothed, right, nor burdened with their present weaknesses, what is mortal. So we will be instead, what, fitted with glorified bodies made for heavenly life. Now that really is the more topical understanding of what Paul wants us to see. But as you know, we want to get into <laughs> the deeper sense of what these verses are all about. So we hit these verses verse by verse. What about this word groan, uh, this word groan? Why does Paul emphasize this word? We see this all throughout his epistles. In this context, he wants us to see that despite our present sufferings, despite our present sufferings and hardships, our groaning expresses something that belongs to hope, right? This hopeful longing for the fullness of redemption. 
That is, we could say, as we read in verse 4, that what is mortal may be swallowed up for life, groan and groaning is actually what? But a prayer, huh? A prayer. If you have your Bibles out, why don't you turn to Romans chapter 8, verses 26 to 27. Romans chapter 8, verses 26 to 27. What does Paul say there as it relates to groaning? Here it is. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses, for we do not know how to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with sighs too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts of men knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So did you catch that there, verse 26? But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with sighs too deep for words. And of course, in the Greek, that sigh can also speak to this groaning. What about Jesus Christ himself? If you were to turn to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 7, verses 31 to 37, what do we have? Jesus curing the deaf man. What takes place there? Well, listen closely to these verses. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee through the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had an impediment in his speech. And they besought him to lay his hand upon him. And taking him aside from the multitude privately, he put his fingers into his ears and he spat and touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he, listen, sighed and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And he charged them to tell no one, but the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond all measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the dumb speak. So here you have an account of Jesus, what? Sighing, groaning. And what is he doing? Well, what did Paul just talk about? He was praying, right? He was praying. He was interceding on behalf of the deaf man. I love that gospel passage because it is like Jesus is setting himself up as an electric current. You know, he puts his finger into his ear and he looks up to heaven. And as he sighs and as he groans, he charges himself to bring about what? But the energy of the Holy Spirit, the healing energy of the Holy Spirit. Incidentally, my friends, one of the Greek words for power, the power of the Holy Spirit is energia, right? Where we get the word energy. So here Jesus Christ sets himself up like this electrical current, <laughs> charging this man up with new life. And so it is, <laughs> our own groaning, sighing is like this energy we receive. And this is what Paul wants us to see anytime he's using the word groaning. Now, something else here that we need to touch upon is, is how we think about prayer. You've heard me talk about at great lengths how prayer is conversation with God. We must always remember that that prayer which is all about conversation with God, that listen-response dynamic with God, always has what St. Paul just said, the Holy Spirit as the protagonist. Huh? The Holy Spirit 
is the one who initiates our prayer. The Holy Spirit is the one who literally inspires, the inspiratio, right? We inhale God so as to exhale God. So the Holy Spirit inspires our prayer. God is knocking on the door of our heart, as we read in Revelation chapter 3. And so it is God who is inviting us, leading us. God, the Holy Spirit, is the lead protagonist in our prayer. And so in our groaning, what comes forth is this Spirit-inspired prayer. Now, groaning also speaks to something else here, and that is longing, right? To groan for God, to sigh for God, is to also, what? Long for God, to ache for God. You heard me say last week when Father Mike joined me that when you talk about the spiritual life, you can distill it in this great truth. God desires that we desire God as much as God desires us. Because once we understand that for what it is, we are well on our way. Why? Because we understand then that God is the one initiating and that we cooperate in that grace. And the deeper we cooperate in that grace, our longing will become greater. Our longing will become more. And the more we receive, the more we realize all the more we need to receive. Okay? That speaks to the inexhaustible reality of God. So the spiritual life is about matching God's desire for us with our desire for God. And we do so by longing for Him, aching for Him. I was in a conversation with someone this morning, and they said, you know, Joe, is everyone called to know sacred Scripture? Like, is everyone called to have sacred scripture on their fingertips? Is everyone called to be a teacher of sacred scripture? I thought, you know, that's a good question, but really there's two questions in that question, because not everyone is called to be a teacher per se in the teaching ministry of Christ. But that being said, everyone, by my estimation, is called to know sacred scripture. Why? Because, well, what does St. Jerome say? Ignorance of scripture is ignorance of Christ. So if you're going to fall more in love with Jesus Christ, what do you need to do? Get to know Jesus Christ in sacred scripture. What does sacred scripture say? First Timothy, all sacred scripture is profitable for teaching, for exhortation to holiness. All of sacred scripture is about having us go deeper in our faith and moreover, our personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So when you ask me, is everyone called to know sacred scripture? Emphatically, I say, yes, yes. Because emphatically, I say, all of us are called to fall madly in love with Jesus Christ. Have you ever thought about it that way? That God is madly in love with you? That God is madly in love with you for who you are, as opposed to who you are not? <laughs> he calls us out from our sinfulness. He calls us out from the muck and the mire that, that we find ourselves in sometimes, but he does so because he loves us and he understands what's best for us. He loves you for who you are. God meets us how he makes us and walks with us exactly as he is. And he calls us to go deeper in discovering who we are called to be that we might glorify him. He asks that we receive him more and more and more that we might glorify him more and more and more. This is our baptismal vocation. And again, 
this is what the spiritual life is all about. Once we get that, then as I was noting earlier, we are better ordered to the for other moment. In that conversation I was having earlier today, a lot of the conversation was about evangelization. And I made the point, you know, in the end, if we understand that we are earthen vessels and that God is the one initiating, God will use us as he desires to use us. We need to be equipped with studying sacred scripture. We need to be equipped with better understanding our 2,000-year history of faith so as to better communicate how to hand on the faith, both philosophically and theologically. But if we are without Jesus Christ, we are without love. And as you've already heard me talk about in 1 Corinthians, we need to anchor everything in love because without love, we are just clutching at empty space. So let us abide in his love. And we do so by again, (laughs) desiring God as God desires to be with us. All of this subject matter that we talk about, my dear friends, is very much caught up in what St. Paul is talking about here. Because once you start talking about this groaning, you're talking about the life of prayer and this heavenly dwelling. You know, what is the heavenly indwelling? You may have heard that phrase before. Well, simply, the Holy Spirit living within us, right? The Holy Spirit is the love shared between the Father and the Son, and that gift of the Holy Spirit is given to us in our baptism and confirmation. And so when we live in the Holy Spirit, we are living in God, and God lives within us. And that's where we get the word heavenly indwelling. What about this language of clothing ourselves? Here, St. Paul wants us to see in this metaphor that the act of putting clothes over our bodies expresses a deep longing that we have as human beings, that longing to share in a fuller, more glorious life than our present mortal existence. So St. Paul is appealing to the human instinct to speak to ultimately what we should aspire to supernaturally, right? Just as we clothe ourselves each and every day with the articles of clothing that we clothe ourselves with, so should we clothe ourselves with the garments of Christ, the garment of virtue, the garment of the Beatitudes, the garments of all those things that speak to holiness. So let us put on the cloth of Christ, as St. Paul says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 10. All right, let us move on here with verses uh, 6 and following. I'll go, I will go ahead and read verses 6 to 10. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith and not by sight. We are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive good or evil according to what he has done in the body. And so we walk by faith. This is a rule of the Christian life on earth, where Christ is present but hidden in the sacred scriptures, in the sacraments, and in our souls. We are reminded, my friends, that only in eternity will our faith give way to the vision of God face to face. Earlier, I was talking about the need to contemplate the face of Christ. Why would I say that we need to contemplate 
the face of Christ. You know that St. John Paul II (laughs) once said that the whole third millennium will be revealed and renewed once we properly contemplate the face of Christ. Why would he say that? Because once we spend time contemplating the face of Christ, then we will begin to understand what it means to reveal the face we contemplate. It will be then that we begin to realize that we have a vocation, a vocation that comes out from this contemplation that reveals the face of Christ. Earlier, I was talking about this longing in our hearts. Well, brothers and sisters, that longing has been put into every heart. And when we properly preach and teach, evangelize and catechize, love as we ought in the corporal and spiritual works of mercy, we help lift the veil of that face of Christ to others. And what then happens is they see that face and then they begin to long, ache (laughs) for this face they are looking upon, for Jesus Christ, this new face they are looking upon. It's interesting that in recent years there's been a great increase in devotion to the Shroud of Turin. You've heard me talk about the Shroud of Turin in the past. I'm not going to get into all of that right now. If you just want to go online, research the Shroud of Turin, you will find some fascinating details there. Uh, The Shroud that Christ was clothed in and His death, some extraordinary things there. Uh, There's a renewed devotion to the Shroud of Turin because there's a clear impression of the face of Christ. And so there's a renewed devotion to contemplating the face of Christ. There's also been renewal and devotion to contemplating the face of Christ with the divine mercy image. As we renew ourselves in contemplating the face of Christ, we do so because it is then that we allow the face of Christ, the eyes of Christ, to penetrate us. Huh? I'm talking about contemplation. What does it mean to contemplate? I don't want to take anything for granted here. The word contemplation, literally in the Latin contemplatio, means the act of looking at. The root there, templum, means what? Sacred. So contemplation is the act of looking at that which is sacred, okay? Or the act of looking at that which is beautiful. Now, when you contemplate something, do you just stare at it? No. As you look at it, you look into it, through it, kind of seeing its 3D or 4D dimension beyond it. That's what beauty does. That's what, say, an icon does. When you are looking at an icon of the holy face of Christ, you are made to look into it, and in particular, into the eyes of Christ, that Christ's eyes may penetrate your heart. And as you do so, you will gain insight into the beauty of Jesus Christ in the church that he came to establish. As you begin to peer deeper into the mystery of Christ, we talk about contemplation within the context of ascending the mountain, right? We have the transfiguration narrative. The transfiguration narrative has always been that one narrative that is tied to the mystical life or contemplation. Why? Because when you contemplate something that is beautiful, When you contemplate something that is sacred, you are ascending the mountaintop, and you ascend the mountaintop because when you get to the mountaintop, you now see the river beyond the river, the mountain beyond the mountain. You see all of the interconnectedness of how it all works. This is why St. Thomas Aquinas says, all wisdom 
starts with a vision from the hilltop because you see all of the interconnectedness between this thing and that thing. So often we ask ourselves the question, boy, Lord, what was the meaning of that moment? Or what was the meaning of that encounter? Or what was the meaning of why that happened to me? The deeper we go into contemplation, the more we ascend, right? And the more we come to understand, understand and discern the meaning of why this happened or why we had that encounter or why this thing happened to me. Okay, so contemplation is a very important word to the life of the church because in so many ways it speaks to the need of spending time with Christ so as to better understand the mystery of Christ and how he reveals himself around us. Okay, so face-to-face is the verse that we are made to really hone in on here. And, and actually, face-to-face is, is a verse that comes to us from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12, which he more or less has, I think, in his backdrop here, if you will. All right, just by way of postscript here, verses uh, 9 and 10, so whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. Brothers and sisters, in order to possess Christ in heaven, we must strive to please him on earth. He will review every one of our thoughts, every one of our words, every one of our deeds performed in and for the body of Christ. So we have to be honest with ourselves. We have to bear witness to the truth of Jesus Christ, that as we seek to please him, we do so for the sake of the glory of God and the salvation of souls, to the least of which, of course, is our own. Amen. Amen. All right, let us close with a word of prayer in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. And God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 5.30 here on KKXX. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.